I invite you now to take your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. You're going through this season of officer nominations. It's always good just to to reflect upon uh, what kind of men God is calling to serve in office, uh, both for their good and for the good of the church. And we're going to finish up this morning by looking at the office of deacon. And we find the qualifications for deacons in 1 Timothy 3, uh, verses 8 through 13. As we read God's Word, now remember that we do this as an act of worship, reading His holy and inerrant and inspired and infallible and authoritative Word. Hear now God's Word. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things, Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, please uh, add your blessing to to your word now. I, I pray for myself. And I ask that you would help me to preach your word faithfully, uh, remove any, any, any unfaithful word from my mind, don't let it be spoken. And I pray also for my brothers and sisters gathered here this morning that you'd give them ears to hear and that they would bring forth the fruit of your word 30, 60, and 100 fold. We ask this for Christ's sake, amen. Uh, Paul begins here by reminding us that the office of deacon is a noble office. Um, there, are, there, there are some ways in which the work of the deacon is very, very pastoral. It is, in some sense, the hands, the nitty-gritty, almost, we might say, the, uh, the dirty part of doing the pastoral, uh, uh, the pastoral office. It's, it's being involved in people's lives on a hard place. It, it is, the, the diaconal office is the picture of service. In fact, the office was created for just this reason, for being servants. Remember that the, the office was created in Acts chapter 6. Um, there was a moment when uh, um, the, uh, the Hellenistic Jews, the Greek Jews, their uh, their widows needed attendance. They, they, they had a great need uh, for service. And the apostles were torn there between uh, ministering um, the word and ministering in prayer to which they were to be devoted. And also trying to meet the needs there. And so uh, instead of being torn, this office of deacon was created so that these men might serve this need. Um, The deacons were devoted then to the physical needs 
of the body of Christ. And we're reminded about a couple things there that God, <clears throat> God cares about the physical needs of his people. He cares about your physical needs. We're reminded of this in um, Matthew chapter 6 where we're commanded to pray, uh, give us this day our daily bread. God cares about our physical needs, but he's also created an office through which he demonstrates that the church is concerned about people's physical needs. The church of Christ has a role in ministering to the physical needs of people. Those who are friendless, our book of church order says about the office of deacon. Ministering to those who are friendless, the hurting, the, the sick. This is those to whom the deacons are called. I want you to think about this um, in reference to my first deacons meeting. I served as a deacon many, many, many years ago. Um, and I remember attending my first deacons meeting in which the order of the day was air filters and light bulbs. And that's, that's not that uncommon. But I want you to think about what we just read. Men who hold the mysteries of the faith in a clear conscience. Men who are dignified. We notice that just in the qualifications for the office of deacon, that God is calling them to a much bigger role in the church than air filters and light bulbs. Now, that is an aspect of it, certainly, and one that is important. But there's more to it. And we're going to look at this in four ways this morning in terms of the qualification for these men. The men God calls to be elders or to be deacons, they are men of resolve and they are men of restraint. They are reviewed and they are rewarded. Deacons are, are men of resolve and they are men of restraint. They are reviewed and they are rewarded. Paul, remember in this particular passage, in, in fact, the whole letter of 1 Timothy. Paul is giving us instructions about how people ought to conduct themselves in the household of God. That's 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. One little truth that we take away from that is that we are a family. We're a family. In, in the deepest and the eternal sense of that term, New Covenant Presbyterian Church is a family. And just as God has given uh, husbands and fathers to the family to serve that family, and mothers uh, working faithfully serve that family, so he has also created a role in the church specifically devoted to service. It, let me put that a different way. Specifically devoted to image Christ in serving. We are also a family with every other believer in the town, in, in, in our towns, and with every believer throughout the world. And so the question is, what kind of men do you want caring for your family? First of all, we see that they ought to be men of resolve. Notice how Paul begins. Deacons likewise must be dignified. 
uh, this begins, he's sort of taking off on the way that it begins uh, talking about um, elders or overseers. Notice back in verse 2, therefore an elder must be, or an overseer must be above reproach. It is necessary for an overseer to be above reproach. Well, it's necessary for a deacon to be a dignified man. In fact, Paul says it's not just necessary for them, but also for their wives. In verse 11, you think about dignitaries. Um, anytime a dignitary from another country comes in and visits with our president, what happens? Well, they are treated with the utmost pomp and circumstance. We are, every image is made to show us just how important these men are. They might roll out the red carpet, they make speeches, and there are banquets and all of this is to show us that these men are dignified. They are, in another sense, worthy of respect. You dress a certain way in their presence, right? Men salute them when they get off of airplanes or helicopters. We respect them. They are worthy of honor. These, in other words, are not the kind of men who make you want to move your wallet from the back pocket to the front pocket. These are honorable men. They are dignified. They conduct themselves with dignity. They hold, verse 9, the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now, this shows us, although they're not, elders are called, remember, to be skillful in teaching, to applying the word. The office of deacon is not necessarily that. But still, it is a spiritual office. They're spiritual men. Uh, they're not just hard workers, but they have a spiritual sense about them. What is the mystery of the faith? Uh, Paul says that they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. There are many times throughout Scripture where Paul speaks of the faith as a mystery. Just this morning, uh, we were talking in Sunday school about sacraments. Uh, the term sacrament actually means a mystery. And in some sense, the sacraments that we partake of are mysteries. They're things that the spiritual reality is something that we cannot see. Paul speaks of the partial hardening of Israel in Romans eleven twenty five as a mystery. But more broadly and more often, Paul talks about the overall plan of salvation as something that's a mystery. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says that um, God's plan to redeem us by sending his son to die on the cross is something that nobody foresaw. In other words, he, he, he goes on to say, listen, if somebody foresaw that, if the leaders of the world foresaw that mystery they wouldn't have put Christ to death if they saw who he truly was. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, he refers to the whole plan of salvation as a mystery. In fact, turn over there with me. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3, 1, For this reason I, Paul, 
a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, here we go in verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. What mystery? As I have written briefly, when you read this, I'm sorry, yeah, when you read this, verse 4, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in order in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. So the mystery in this context is the fact that we Gentiles have been grafted in and made partakers of the promises God made to Israel. Well, deacons, deacons are spiritual men, and they are men who must understand these mysteries, fundamentally the mystery of the gospel. They must hold it with a clear conscience. In other words, um, in, in, every, in every way, they are men who, who have uh, partaken of the gospel themselves. Uh, whenever I hear that word conscience, I think of Jiminy Cricket, right? There's a very personal aspect here. Um, when they are convicted by conscience, they don't thump it off their shoulder, right? They can look at the promises and the precepts of the gospel of Jesus Christ and they can say, that's true of me. I profess faith. I hold to the faith. I'm honorable to all of the doctrines of the faith. I accept them as true. And the fruit of the gospel is present in his life why is this important? Well, it's important for this reason. That, listen, genuine concern for the body of Christ comes from Christ. A genuine concern for the body of Christ comes from Christ. A man is not going to have a genuine and a godly concern for the body of Christ if he himself is yet not united to Christ. That the grace of Christ won't flow through him even in meeting physical needs if he's not united to Christ. This is imperative. In other, in other words, for him to be faithful in administering all of this on behalf of Christ, he must be united to him. Next, in terms of his own personal resolve, we see that there's a household faithfulness. I'm not going to go back through this. You can uh, look back to the sermon from last week. We talked about being the husband of one wife. Uh, this is true of deacons as well in verse 12. We find also that their wives, though, uh, exhibit a personal character. Notice... There in verse 11, their wives likewise must be dignified. And, and Paul kind of expands on this for us. He says they are not slanderers, but they are sober-minded. They are faithful in all things. They are, in other words, they're serious women. Um, 
they're not necessarily devoted just to being fashionable in society. They are devoted to the honor of Christ and the things of Christ. Who cares? What difference does it make? Let Let me express to you why it makes a difference both for an elder and a deacon. What kind of families that they have. There are many circumstances where these men are privy to some of the most sensitive details of the lives of the body of Christ. They become aware and should become aware of the skeletons that are in your closet. Not so that they can slander you, not so that they can hold it over you, not so that they can manipulate you, but so that they might take you by the hand and walk with you through that circumstance. Occasionally, these details become known to other members of their household, hopefully not intentionally. What would happen if a man had a slanderous wife and she got hold of some of your secrets? Cows are out of the barn, as they say. It is important that this man have a wife who is like-minded and dignified as well. He is a man in terms of his household faithfulness like an elder who manages his children and his household well. We remember that these men in many cases are given uh, charge over our household finances, right? They are given a charge over the economy of the church, how the monies are to be spent and collected. And so they must have demonstrated a faithfulness in their own homes of being able to to determine, is this a need or a want? Imagine if we held our civil leaders to this standard. Is that a need or a want? They spend well. They understand how to prioritize. But let me, let me put this to you in terms of, of how do I do, what, is, what application does this make to the everyday Christian in terms of managing my own conscience? But what, how does this apply to me? Well, how do you discern whom God has called? You look at the man and his family. In choosing deacons, you are serving the body and you are serving these men. In choosing deacons and electing them after the pattern of Acts chapter 6, you are serving the body and you are serving these men. To put an uncalled man into office is to dishonor him. You place upon that man a burden that God has not equipped him to bear. And you are not serving him. And you also do a disservice to the body of Christ. The diaconal ministry will be less than it should have been if uncalled men are placed in it. So we must look for men who have resolved. They demonstrate a personal character and a household faithfulness. Secondly, we find that deacons are men of restraint. Look quickly here with some of the negatives that Paul gives us. Uh, Verse Uh, One and two. Uh, These are not double-tongued men. They don't tell you one thing and do another. They don't deceive with their tongues. They are not addicted to much wine. They're not 
neither necessarily teetotalers, but they're also not drunkards. What difference does it make what a man does in the privacy of his home when it's 1030 at night? Well, remember, there are many late night calls. I've personally been called 3 a.m., 4 a.m. I'm on my way to the hospital. My husband has had a stroke. These men must be ready at all times to give godly counsel, to be encouragers, to come when service is needed. You're on call to give an encouraging word, to pray, to be there, because duty calls at any time, and drunkards are not ready for action, my friends. Next, we see that in terms of his restraint, he's not greedy for dishonest gain. You know, one of the, one of the marvels of the gang of 12 that Jesus put together is that Judas Iscariot was included in that group. And we know from an ultimate perspective why Judas was included. He was the betrayer. And this was the, the work that was his to do. But it was also interesting because Judas was a guy who skimmed off the top. There were many who came around Jesus' ministry and they supported his ministry monetarily. And all the while, there was Judas in the back room putting a little in his pocket. He was the guy that would cause you to move your wallet from the back pocket to the front pocket. Deacons, according to our book of church order, are called... to develop the grace of liberality in the members of the church. In other words, to encourage individual members, encourage you to give faithfully, to give more. They are also to devise effective methods of collecting the gifts of the people and to distribute these gifts among the objects to which they are contributed. Let me ask you, are you going to give faithfully if you have the slightest concern that these men are skimming off the top? If you look at their lifestyle and there's out-of-control spending, probably not. And so they must not be greedy for dishonest gain. And I assume that none of you still send money to Jimmy Swaggart. Thirdly, Look with me at the deacon's review. They must be men of resolve. They must be men of restraint. But they're also men who are reviewed. They are examined and proved. Look with me at verse 10. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Before a man may serve either as an elder or as a deacon, he must be examined. This is done in two ways. It's done in a formal way. There's an oral and a written examination that these men go through to show that they hold the mysteries of the faith with a clear conscience, that they know what the mysteries of the faith are, that they can express those things. But they're also examined informally. Do you know how the informal examination takes place? It takes place every time these men are in your presence and you're listening to what they say and you're watching what they do. And I would suggest to you that one way to determine if a man is called to office is just to look 
and see if he's doing the work already without a title. If he's the guy that's here, he wants to be here in the church looking for ways that he can serve, asking about things that he can do in the church, turning the lights on, setting up the chairs, doing things like that, calling on the widows, making sure that they're okay, assessing whether they have uh, physical needs. That's a man very likely on whom the Lord has placed a desire for service. That's a called man. He does the work without the title. There's a particular man in our own body who is faithful about visiting people and he has no office. Does he check on the friendless and the feeble in the church with no official capacity? That may be a man on whom the Lord has placed a calling. The office of deacon, in other words, listen, is not one to grow into. No, they must first be examined. As Calvin says, these are men who have previously commended themselves. Lastly, let's look at the deacon's reward. The deacon's reward. Verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. There are two ways that deacons who serve well are rewarded. One, they gain a good standing. The, the original has the idea of they make a step up. And so there's, in some interpretations, what this means is that a deacon who serves well may be eligible for moving up into the office of elder. Maybe so. And certainly, uh, the office of the deacon can be training grounds. It can be preparatory grounds for serving as an elder. But there are others who serve so very well as deacons, you, you think, please, just keep serving as a deacon. You do so well at it. And so on the one hand, the diaconate, it could be a proving ground. It could be a training ground uh, to serving on the session. But in, in very simple terms, uh, what, the, what this means is that the men who serve well in this office deserve to be honored. The men who serve well in this office deserve to be honored. I think this goes back to verse 8. Remember that we, we read there at the very beginning that likewise deacons must be dignified. They must be men who are honorable and when they serve honorably, we ought to honor them appropriately. When deacons serve honorably, we ought to honor them appropriately. When The diaconate can be an especially thankless job. But, but let me say to you, it requires hard work. Because not only are they friends to the helpless and the sick and the feeble among us, not only are they devising ways to collect the money, are they thinking about the budget, and listen, sometimes sweating the budget. But they're also given responsibility for the upkeep of this building. I wonder how many of you sought out an elder and said, thank you for coordinating the pressure washing of the building. It looks so much nicer. It's a thankless job. But it shouldn't be. 
And those who serve well ought to be honored. When you see deacons commending themselves in their tireless effort, thank them. We also see that they gain great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. They, they gain a good standing for themselves before men. And before Christ, they gain great confidence. These men know that they are ultimately serving Christ. They're not doing it for the pats on the back. They're doing it because they love Christ and they love um, getting uh, in the foxhole with you and, and doing hard work with you, helping you when you need it the most. You think of the times when you are most stressed. When is it? When you have physical needs. And there's the deacon. Every moment, let me speak to the deacons directly. Every moment that you care for widows, that you call on the prisoners, that you feed the hungry, that you care for the poor, and yes, when you change air filters, you receive the smile of Christ your Lord. And even if the body within which you serve never pats you on the back. Know that Christ will. Every unseen thing that you do is seen by Him and loved by Him. You men should know that your service is always noticed by Christ. And those of you who serve faithfully will one day enter into the rest of your Savior with these words, well done, my good and faithful servant. The men God calls to be deacons are men of resolve and they are men of restraint. They are men who are reviewed and they are men who will be rewarded. Deacons, no less than elders, represent the name of Christ in an official capacity. They are the dignitaries in some sense of our body, dignitaries who take upon themselves the dirty hands of Christ Jesus. Once elected, they are no longer enlisted men. They are the captains of Christ's army. Their dignity and godliness are imperative to the office. Their lack of dignity or godliness, think of this, brings then even greater shame upon Christ. Therefore, when you nominate a man or when you cast a vote for a man, do so with these qualifications in mind and vote with a clear conscience. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Lord Jesus, you have seen fit to give your church elders and deacons as a gift of your grace. You've given us men who have the courage and boldness to take us by the hand and say, come on, keep persevering, look ahead, walk forward, be brave in the, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, look to him, he's the rock, he's your shelter. And you've given us some men to come alongside and and to walk with us when we are financially strapped, when we are worried, when we have anxieties of the worldly sort. In other words, Lord, within this family, you've given us men 
to care for every moment of our lives. And through these men, you demonstrate to us that you care about every aspect of our lives. You don't just care about the spiritual. You care about the physical as well. You make spiritual provision and you make physical provision. It's all yours. We thank you. And I pray. I pray for my brothers. I thank you. Thank you for giving New Covenant such godly, tireless, hardworking men. Thank you for their efforts to serve. Even when their labors are in secret, nobody sees what they're doing. It is seen by you. I pray for my brothers. I see you continue to give grace and wisdom and strength and courage. The days require it. And bless their families. They also sacrifice. I ask that you would reward them as well. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.